Everybody, 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 drop your stop, 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 Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. And we are talking to a legend today, a bona fide legend of Survivor, Jerry Manthe, the original Black Widow, the devil in a blue bikini, really defined the Australian outback and so much of the old school era of the show. Not only that, but I feel like non-watchers of Survivor know Jerry Manthe. I feel like they know Sue, Susan, Richard, Rudy, Jerry, Elizabeth Hasselbeck, maybe Scoopin because of the fire moment. There's like a couple of faces that I feel mm-hmm. like are indelible even to non-watchers. And I feel like Jerry is without a doubt one of them. Like even far more than Rob Mariano, who is pushed as oh, the yeah. face of Survivor. And Jerry's just so iconic. She was iconic on Survivor. She's been iconic outside of Survivor. I mean, she, I think, was the first Survivor to cover Playboy and, you know, had multiple appearances in TV shows after the fact. She's coming from the era, of course, where being on Survivor really launched you into superstardom in a way that really waned after the Australian outback and uh, the sort of dip that Survivor experienced post 9-11 and with Africa and moving forward. And there was just so little precedent at this point still, because this is coming off of the hype from Borneo was still going strong, you know? And so this is sort of that, like it's, it's the last of this height of fame and it's also the very, it's the first and last in a lot of ways, which only sort of outlines how much of an anomaly Borneo and Australian Outback are. Though the ratings continue to be strong for uh, the seasons afterward, nothing ever topped Borneo and Australian Outback. And also because of 9-11, which we will get into eventually at some point uh, with uh, Africa, I feel like sort of the sentiment sort of changed. One thing I learned from historians, survivor historians, a podcast you and I both really enjoy, uh, was that the attitudes towards reality television changed as a result mm-hmm. of 9-11. So I feel like Jerry, like like I said, sort of uh, is a relic in so many ways of sort of like the pantheon of reality television fame and not with the sort of like, you know, we have like Snookies today or housewives that sort of like people some people roll their eyes at them. It was a different kind of fame. I don't think they were like reality TV famous. I think they were legitimately famous. They were appearing on Dave Letterman. They were on the morning show. The The type of fame that they held on to was a very different fame than even a breakout reality star of today. I don't know. I saw that picture of Snooki in the ball drop from New Year's Eve 2011. That was a pretty big platform. It's true. <laughs> it is true. But I also want to say about Jerry, I just think that aside from her sort of superstardom and sort of transcendence into pop culture from Survivor, also just on the show of Survivor, I think that she's so integral to the success of Survivor as a TV show and as a game show because. In the Outback, she just came out as such a big character, but not necessarily a big game player. I mean, she wasn't super successful. In fact, I mean, her vote off is the first time that that we 
don't get a straight pagonging uh, because the Ogakor alliance turns on her before voting out Elizabeth and Roger from the Kucha tribe. And so it's like a kind of like a big early blindside. I remember just like being totally floored by her exit because it seemed so clear that we were getting another pagonging. And then when she comes back for all stars, it's kind of like mm, she does well, but doesn't make the merge. And, you know, she, she has sort of like a better showing. But then it's like carry that into heroes versus villains where she comes in almost like a new person or a grown person or an evolved version of the Jerry Manthe that we had seen in the early seasons of the show and is comes off as much more mature, comes off as a much stronger game player and manages to play like quite a savvy game and comes very close to making it to that final tribal council. And in many ways, when I think about heroes versus villains, Evan, I remember when you started watching it and uh, back then you would sort of like come to me and say, I'm about to start this season. Is there anything I should look out for? And I think I remember saying to you, as I've said to many people, heroes versus villains is the season to watch Jerry. This is like Jerry's season. I totally agree, but you need, I'm so glad that I, I would always come to you. This I remember this as well. And I'm so glad it's like you, it's important to have that lens on the season while you're watching. Um, not because it, I think you get more out of the season in terms of Jerry's arc if you have particular attention on her because mm. she's certainly under-edited in the season, especially considering how far she gets, but I, I completely agree with you. I also think that there's no character in Survivor history who would be looked at now with a completely different lens in terms of how they were treated both by fellow contestants and by the show itself and, and the media surrounding it. And I think that's true in so many ways for Jerry, but there's one scene in particular which we didn't actually get into with her, but it, it happens uh, at one point when Colby makes a joke after one of the challenges that they lose about hanging her, um, you know, alluding to actually her being killed, right? And not only is that egregious, but everyone else, including Elizabeth Hasselbeck, laughs at or Elizabeth Falarski, excuse me, I should say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everybody else laughs. And that's just an example of like, uh, kind of the rhetoric that was spewed back then, like if someone was not well-liked in the game, it was completely acceptable to treat them just so cruelly, but beyond that, to have no one sort of like hold any sort of like anyone's feet to the fire with regard to that. We we do have instances in this later in the game of just like Karishma I think of, and just like the cruelty that certain players have towards others. But I think Jerry was really the first. And I think that we can look back at her now and like that sort of, villain villainous title that was bestowed on her it really like she just doesn't really have the attributes of a proper villain yeah i think also of shireen and uh abby maria to like some extent rc sort of i mean abby maria i think plays into it a little bit more but there are so many and it's like when you look back on so many of them but especially jerry it's actually hard to pinpoint what made Jerry a villain? And of course, she's like the original villain of Survivor. And when you go back and look, it's actually so tame, the things that she is villainized for in comparison to what we will get later on in reality TV and in Survivor. So I think that I'm really interested in like re-examining her uh, villainization 
based on what actually happened and not on the public reaction and the fervor of Jerry Manthe in the Australian Outback. Absolutely. And last thing I'll say on that is I think you can draw some sort of line between sort of like the, you know, the height of pop culture cruelty that happened in like the Perez Hilton era of like 2007, 2008. I think you can really, there's some sort of line to be dotted to this 2000, 2001, 2002 era of the beginnings of the, the popularity of the internet and then reality television and then Perez coming along and sort of these people, because this was also new too, where you would go on a show like this and then you would stay famous even though you were no longer part of the show per se. All of this was so new on top of the fact that Misogyny, not that we have gotten rid of it by any measure, but uh, flagrant misogyny was much more allowed societally at the time. So I think there's there's just there's so much about Jerry, not just Jerry the person, but where where Jerry the reality television persona existed given the time. There's just there's mm -hmm. so much to it, and I think that that's the reason why this episode is as long as it is, and that's why we hope to have her back because there's just so much to unpack about the great Jerry Manthe. There's so much to say. She has so much to weigh in on on her seasons, but also on Survivor more broadly. And of course, the most recent season that we saw, 41, and so much to say about our most recent winner, our first female winner in many, many years. And I hope that everyone enjoys it. This is our longest interview by far and so far. And I uh, think it there's just so much to dig your teeth into. So without further ado, here is our conversation with the one, the only, Jerry Manthe. Jerry Manthe burst onto our screens and into our hearts in the winter of 2001 as the lovable villainess of Survivor, the Australian Outback. Jerry caused waves in the Olgacore tribe early on, criticizing the cooking skills of Keith Famey, developing a flirtatious relationship with Colby Donaldson, and accusing Kel Gleason of smuggling beef jerky into the outback. Allying herself with the future Mrs. Mariano, Amber Burkich, Jerry helped the Ogacores send Kel and Mad Dog Marilyn home and secured her place in the merge. After the Ogacore tribe learned of previous votes cast against Kucha tribe member Jeff Varner, Jerry joined her tribe in forcing a tie, taking advantage of the season two tiebreaker rule and securing a majority for the rest of the merge. However, on day 27, the Ogacore alliance of Tina, Colby, and Keith joined forces with the remaining Kucha members to blindside Jerry, sending her to the jury. At the final tribal council, Jerry cast one of four votes that crowned Tina Wesson the first female winner of Survivor. Six seasons later, Jerry returned to compete in Survivor All-Stars, where she deserved to win the title of Soul Survivor, if only for surviving Rupert's abysmal underground log cabin shelter. <laughs> In her first trips to Tribal Council, Jerry was on the right side of every vote, successfully eliminating some of the biggest icons of the game, Tina, Rudy, and Richard. On day 19, she finally settled the score with her longtime frenemy, Colby Donaldson, sending him home. But after a tribe swap and a godfather deal made between Lex and Boston Rob, Lex flipped on his loyalty to Jerry in favor of protecting Amber, and Jerry became the final pre-merge boot of the season. Jerry would return one more time in the seminal 20th season of Survivor, Heroes vs. Villains. 
On the Villains Tribe, Jerry quickly formed a close relationship with Coach and joined in an alliance with Boston Rob, Sandra, Courtney, and Tyson. However, after Tyson bungled a split vote and essentially sent himself home, Jerry flipped to the dark side, joining an alliance with Russell Hance, Harvardy Shallow, and Danielle DeLorenzo, a move which would secure her a spot in the Merge Tribe. At the first post-merge tribal council, the heroes targeted Jerry, but she was saved after Parvati played hidden immunity idols for both Jerry and Sandra, keeping her debaucherous little villains intact and giving them the numbers advantage they needed moving forward. Jerry went on to win an individual reward and secured her first individual immunity win. When Russell wreaked havoc amongst his own allies on day 33, Danielle revealed that Jerry was on the bottom of the alliance. Jerry flipped on Danielle and voted with Russell and the heroes to send her to the jury. Jerry then helped to take out the last two remaining heroes, Rupert and Colby, before she was voted out by Russell, Parvati, and Sandra ahead of the final tribal council. At the final tribal, Jerry cast one of only three votes for Parvati to win Heroes vs. Villains. The word iconic is thrown around a lot, but in this case, it doesn't even begin to describe her. Jerry has been called the original Black Widow of Survivor, the devil in a blue bikini, man-eater Manthe. It is Jerry Manthe. Welcome to Drop Your Buffs, Jerry. Wow, that was quite a recap. (laughs) You guys said you were going to do your research, but holy crap. Have you been watching every season since we last connected? Yes. The answer is yes. And I have to say, when we dreamed up this podcast and made our list of dream guests, I kid you not, there is no one more important to us to have on this podcast than you in all of Survivor history. You are a favorite player for both of us. This is a very, very big deal. Oh, my goodness. Wow. (laughs) Well, I'm honored, and I'm a little bit embarrassed. (laughs) Don't be. Which makes me curious, how much, if at all, are you aware of your status as a gay icon? Am I? That's the you biggest are. compliment you I've ever gotten in my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. That, wow. I feel like I've officially made it now. <laughs> this is it. That- Once you reach K-Icon status, as uh, Samantha says in Sex and the City, first come the gays, then the girls, then the industry. So the gays come first. So, yes, okay. gay icon for sure. <laughs> When did that happen? How many years did it take for that to happen? Because I'm just now hearing this for the first time. <laughs> I think well, it's just Jerry, someone's done you wrong because it happened in 2001. What? Oh, come on. <laughs> like as a young gay kid watching Survivor of the Australian Outback, it was like, we have arrived. We had Colleen in season one, America's sweetheart. But what we really needed was somebody with a little bit of edge. And we got her <laughs> with you. Yeah, you know, I so funny because I actually just recently watched season two for the first time since it first came out. Um, I have a new boyfriend and he was like very curious about watching that season and convinced me to watch it. And I, I, it was very hard to watch, honestly. By the time I finished, I was like, oh my God, they, they really made me look horrible. And I, I didn't even really do anything to deserve any of that. And looking back on that and watching that season again was, it was very hard. Um, 
And sadly, I, you know, if you guys watch this latest season, season 41, it was so dramatically different, everything about that season. But one of the things that I just thought was um, the most shocking for me was how they kept focusing on the humanity of people in the game. Like these are people playing this game. These are, you know, here's their backstory, all these tragic things that have happened in people's lives. And I just, the whole time I'm watching it going, you know, it would have been such a different experience season two if they had done that and gone about it that way instead of villainizing me for calling someone out for not being able to cook rice and catching someone eating beef jerky, which by the way was real. Um, it was really interesting to me to see how survivors changed over the years where it's at right now versus when I played season two. Um, and then, you know, in the all stars, <laughs> you guys saw me again, get booed off of the reunion show because mm -hmm. what was I trying to say? I was trying to say we're human beings. We're friend we're, friendships are being broken here. People's feelings are being hurt and the whole audience went nuts and I, got booed off live television. It's just a very interesting you know, journey. In many senses, you were ahead of your time. I mean, it reminds me, not to make this comparison, but the Elizabeth Rosie moment on The View, everything Rosie O'Donnell was saying in that moment was very much true, but just people hadn't heard it yet at the time. And so I, I think that is an apt comparison in the sense of you were saying something that today would not only not be booed, would be applauded because you're saying a very, you're saying everything that people now know but again, reality television was so fresh. Also, people were effing cruel. And not to say they're no longer cruel, um, but they were cruel in a different way then, which we'll get into. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But um, interesting <laughs> to hear that you rewatched it. Um, oh, it was can hard. Can you take us back for a moment, though? Because we want to sort of contextualize just how big Survivor was at the time. So we're coming <laughs> off of this record-breaking season one finale. And the hype could not have been bigger going into season two because you know people were asking was Borneo a fluke and they put on they put the season two premiere following the Super Bowl which was CBS's way of saying uh we're pretty confident that we've got something here and, and we can repeat the magic um and then at one point in season it's either season one or season two uh Survivor beat out friends in the ratings for the first time um Man. it's just so different than the show as it exists today so can you kind of give us your perspective going into season two about like just how big this show was. It was the most watched show on television. And it, every week when there was an episode that was aired, they're all starting on the East Coast out there three hours ahead of LA. You could feel the wave of excitement move across the country and people were trying to find out who was playing this show before we names were even released. Like we were under such... A crazy contract by CBS. They were like, if anybody hears that you're on this season, you're off. We have 20 people standing behind you who want to take your place. So you better not open your mouth. Like the the paranoia was already happening way before the game started. But the whole country was just trying so hard to figure out who was on the show, what happened on the show. People were trying to, you know, figure out what happened, who got voted off. While we were in Australia, there was this crazy guy in Australia who had a helicopter, and every once in a while they would hear get wind that he was flying over where we were playing the game, and we would have to hide in the bushes because they were trying so hard to get shots oh of who's still on the beach. Like it was, 
it was crazy. People were nuts about Survivor. Like it was such a cool thing to be a part of at the beginning, but it was also very hard because the fear and paranoia was so real. Uh, by from CBS, and then also afterwards when I got voted off the show, I couldn't not I couldn't go anywhere. Like I I tell this story every once in a while. There was a time my cousins came out to visit me because I was on TV, and they're like, "Ooh, Jerry, we want to come to LA and visit you." And I was like, "Come on out!" I was trying to find friends. It's like it was so hard for me to talk to people. People hated me. They actually hated me. And so we're driving down Beverly Drive in LA. This Porsche comes flying down the road and I, I'm pulling out into traffic and he pulls up next to me and like, you know, does the, the window thing, even though we push buttons, <laughs> he's like, Rah. and I roll my window <laughs> down and he's like, that's why everyone thinks you're a f- fucking bitch. Like I was in traffic in LA with my cousins. And that's kind of when I realized that my whole life had changed, like, and, and not necessarily in a positive way. Like it was, a lot of people don't realize what I went through back then. It was, and watching season two kind of brought it all back. I was like, oh my God, I still, I, I definitely have PTSD 1000%. But yeah, it was nuts. People were absolutely insane for that show. I, we had no idea when we did it, how popular it was going to be. <laughs> but you knew how popular season one was. And something that I've always wondered is that when you were out there in the outback, how much were you talking about season one and sort of like anticipating what the response was going to be? Because I've heard that there was a lot of talk about season one and they obviously didn't want to air it because they want it to be sort of a contained thing of its own. But uh, how much referencing was there of, you know, Sue and Richard and Rudy and all of that while you were out there? Um, well, I mean, you're right. They did tell us don't talk about it because we can't use that footage as if there's not a bajillion other hours of footage they can't use. Um, but the weird thing about that is the timing, right? So the finale of Survivor did not happen until shortly before we left. So we didn't even know the, the real popularity of the first season uh, going into the second one. Um, I remember I didn't even watch any of the episodes because I had originally sent in a tape for season one and they didn't pick me. So I was like in, you know, typical actress fashion. I was like, well, screw you guys. I'm not watching that shit. <laughs> and then um, so I never watched it. And I had friends who were like, oh, my God, Survivor's amazing. And I'm like, whatever. Uh, but I went to a party the night of the finale and I I was like, all right, whatever. And I watched the finale and I was like, what is going on? Like, you know, Susan Hawk with her whole if you were, you know, dying of thirst on the side of the road, I wouldn't give you a glass of water. I was like, wow, this is brutal. Like I'm kind of glad I didn't get picked. And then literally the day before we left, I snuck my iMac. <laughs> we didn't have laptops back then. I sound so old when I say stuff like that. I had a big bubble iMac that I put in a big tote and I brought it into my hotel room. I snuck it in and I watched every single episode like it was bootleg on the internet somewhere. And I was just like, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? Like I I couldn't believe it. But 
as an actress, I also did see that there were a lot of people from season one that were getting like day roles on TV shows and things like that. Um, and I went, oh my God, this could be my big break because I'd been in LA for six years at that time and previous in Florida. I've been working as an actress for probably 10 years at that point. Just, oh my God, this is my big break. And, you know, in some ways it was, but in other ways, <laughs> no. <laughs> I imagine one of the many bizarre aspects of this show is you know, and as you mentioned, you just watched season two again, is going and watching things that took place on your season that you were not present for. Um, and because season two is so iconic, there's a lot of those moments. Uh, for instance, Michael in the fire, something that you were not present for. There's an iconic moment in the season. Another one being that famous fight between Kimmy and Alicia, um, <laughs> which I remember watching it at the time. And that was just... I was talking, Sean and I were talking about this earlier. It's like there really wasn't a reality television fight. Like we just never seen anything quite like that fight. It really was water cooler fodder as was so much on this show. What was it like for you in going back uh, at the time or even now rewatching season two and seeing aspects of the game that you weren't present for play out? Uh, well, I mean, the whole thing with Michael falling into the fire was so awful. I mean, and it, I, because I wasn't there, I didn't experience firsthand the feeling of what that would be like to suddenly realize that this game you're playing is also very real. There's almost something very traumatic about that situation. Um, I didn't experience anything like that until the All-Stars and then again in Heroes and Villains. Like When you have a real moment like that in the context of this very stressful game um, that is also being played with other human beings... Um, there's something very traumatic about that. Um, so when we got news that he fell in the fire, it just, it seemed very abstract. And at the time, um, I remember I was kind of on the chopping block. If he hadn't fallen into the fire, I think I would have been the next to be voted out that season. Um, and then as far, we had our own drama <laughs> at Ogakor, but it was, you know, me and Keith obviously did not get along, <laughs> which going back and watching that, I think is it, it's so silly. But at the same time, the hard part for me to watch is that it was also a very real situation. Like I got so much crap for, well, what's the big deal? He couldn't make rice. And I'm like, I don't, we were starving. That That's the, the real deal. So I, that, that's probably one of the things about this latest season that drives me the most crazy. It's the I really enjoyed it for all its different reasons. But the one thing that drove me absolutely insane was every time they said, this is the hardest season of all time. I was like, I am going to knock somebody out. If I see any of those kids, I am going to say, you know what? Bullshit. They literally, this game ended when I got voted off. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like It's the same exact <laughs> amount of time. Right. I was out there for 27 days. Their game only lasted 26. They had papayas. They had coconuts. They had breadfruit. They had, it was like a buffet of fruit in a tropical paradise where it rained the last night they were there and they're like, we're paying our dues. And I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm like, try having it rain for two weeks straight. Like it was, that was, that drove me nuts. It's the only thing about that this last season, I was like, someday I'm going to set those kids straight. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been saying that for weeks. So we really have okay, good. You, you guys see that too? Like, why do they keep oh, saying yeah. that? 
Uh, it's no. not the hardest season ever. We've seen Africa. hard seasons. No, I still think Africa is one of the worst seasons mm. of all time. That they okay. had actual lions like feed away from them that could kill them. That's they pretty go anywhere. Yeah. extreme. And their water was full of elephant poop. They didn't give us water back then. And that is, yeah. you can live off of water. We, we didn't even have that. So there, I said it. <laughs> uh, we mentioned her earlier, but I want to talk about Elizabeth. You played with Elizabeth Filarski well before she became the conservative Elizabeth Hasselbeck, Rosie O'Donnell's sparring partner on The View. What do you remember about Elizabeth and what was your reaction when she joined The View? Um, I honestly, on Survivor, I thought she's one of the cutest people I'd ever seen. She was absolutely adorable. She had this tiny little voice and little twisty pigtails and a really cute sporty style. Like I, I thought she was absolutely adorable. Um, and then she got, when she got on the view, I was very confused because I knew from knowing her in the, in the context of the game that uh, she had lived with her parents pretty much her whole life. They, paid for her to go to college and she was with them until she got married. Now, to me, that's not a view I respect because where's the struggle? Where's the paying your own rent and taking care of yourself and having three jobs and chasing your dreams and like, where's the view that comes from your own personal struggle as opposed to one that you learn from your parents? And so that was always my, my big thing with her. Um, for a long time, I, I also was very upset with her because of all the things she said about me behind my back on Survivor, um, which, you know, and again, season two was, a, it's very fresh because I just watched it. But I was like, you know, always talking about me behind my back because I was very adamant about how rice was made. I was, I was not on the tribe that had chickens and a pig and won all the challenges and had tons of food and stuff. We were starving. Rice was all we had. It was a big deal. You know, in retrospect, I could have probably been a little bit quieter about it, but I was, I was hungry. So I can own that. I mean, I know a lot of people who can't go without lunch in one day without being hangry. So. <laughs> I also have no doubt that other players said similar things in future seasons and were just, they had that footage cut. I feel like there was a vendetta, if you will, from the editors in terms of wanting to show you in those moments to play that up as much as possible. That's another conversation. We sort of spoke about <laughs> this, but you played during a time when the survival aspect and the environment played a big role in the game and the experience. And as you just mentioned, that's sort of been deprioritized over time. You know, we are constantly in the same location these days. And as you mentioned, food is more readily available. That was so not the case when you played. Uh, what do you remember about living in the Outback for a month? And were you like fully prepared for what that would entail? Because I imagine you might have thought, well, we'll get there, but like they'll give us water, right? But like as it turns out, they would not. <laughs> I was totally prepared for suffering and struggle. And Australia was very similar to, I don't know, the environment that I was used to going hiking in. And I, I used to go out in the middle of nowhere and camp for like three days with nothing but what was in a backpack. Like I did that on a regular basis. So I was kind of prepared mentally and physically for that situation. 
And then they also, because it was cold at night, they let us have clothes. Like we had, we were allowed to have a jacket and a hat and several shirts and pants and shoes. Like we had actual, an actual wardrobe back then because it was so cold at night. Um, so I feel like we were a little bit better prepared than later on when they literally throw you out in the middle of nowhere wearing nothing but what you have on and go, good luck. Um, and I loved Australia. It was beautiful. And the water was fresh. It wasn't salt water. And yeah, we were surrounded by crocodiles, but it's weird. You get very used to things that you would normally think would scare the crap out of you. Like crocodiles, you know, laying 20 feet away from you in the morning and you go, good morning. <laughs> Um, and everything can kill you there as well. And so we, I did research on Australia like crazy. I bought all these books. And, you know, back then you couldn't Google stuff. <laughs> I swear. I'm not that old. I swear. I just feel You're like not. I am. Like I'm like, really? It was before the internet. Like, think about that. That is crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. There were chat rooms which was a weird concept at the time, but there was no like, oh, let's go look at, learn about Australia online. So I was in the library, like checking out stacks of books and I loved Australia. I still think it's one of the best locations of all the survivors because it's dangerous enough, but it's still, you know, you can find some comfort there somehow. I don't know. I think that's part of the reason why we get PTSD as well is because this weird thing happens when you live under that much stress and that much physical strain and mental strain for such a long period of time, you find this weird rhythm and there's a comfort in that rhythm. Like the sun comes up, you get up. What do you do? You look for wood, you keep a fire going, you boil water. They don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> um, you go look for food. Everybody starts waking up. You Someone offers to open a coconut and then you need like the machete and like there's all the conversations going on and you find this weird sense of routine. And when you get back to your normal house and live in your normal place, you kind of have this shock of, oh my gosh, I don't have to worry when it rains because there's a roof over my head. Like simple things like that cause weird triggers. And I, I still... After it rains, there's this smell in the air, that's that damp ground smell that I remember from Survivor. Like I still have some of those memories come back and I have to talk myself through it. I'm like, that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> You're no. okay, Jerry. You could go back in your house and have a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I agree with you on Australia being one of the greatest locations. And I've recently got into the Australian version of the show, which because of the pandemic has been forced to film in Australia. So it's the first time I've seen a Survivor season filmed in the outback again. And it was just like, the imagery is stunning. And it's so nostalgic to your season. And it's just so nice to see. And I wish they would go back, but they seem married to Fiji now. So are you talking about the Australian Survivor with the all Australian? The Australian cast? Survivor. Do they yeah. don't, don't film that typically in Australia? No, they typically film it like in Fiji or Samoa. What? They're in yeah. Australia. That doesn't yeah. make any sense. 
<laughs> they want to strand them somewhere else. I don't know, but yeah, exactly. they've been forced now. And and you know, Sandra's playing again. I don't know if you've seen this, but Sandra and her daughter are playing in the next season, which is also filmed in Australia. I'm Will not you be even... watching Sandra? No, no, I'm... no. <laughs> <laughs> she said she was never going to play again, and I called bullshit on that when she said it. I was like, whatever. Give me a break. If they if they had a legend season, they kept saying they were going to, and apparently now it's never going to happen. But she's like, I would never do it again. I'm like, oh, my God, you are such a liar. <laughs> as soon as they show her the money, she's on board. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, let's talk about your villainess status, because it's hard to understand upon rewatching any of your seasons for me. Because a lot of the public reaction seems to have been based on your reaction to Keith, who, as you point out, indeed could not cook rice. Your accusation towards Cal, which in the intervening years, it has been all but confirmed, including by Jeff Probst himself, that Cal had beef jerky. And your sort of one-sided relationship with Colby, which who isn't a sucker for cowboys? So <laughs> how much do you think that sexism and misogyny played into your edit and the public reaction to you? Oh, 1,000 million percent misogyny involved in that whole situation, without a doubt. Uh, you know, Colby and my flirtation was not one-sided at all. It's just for some reason they didn't show when he was flirting with me, except that cute little interaction we had with like chocolate chip or oatmeal raisin, you know, that I love that scene. It's so <laughs> adorable. Um, he flirted with me all the time. I think that's probably why when I've watched that season again recently, um, it was very hurtful. Like he said some really nasty things about me that, that didn't even have anything to do with the game. And that's, that hurt me because anything I said or did, was in the context of the game. I wasn't like attacking someone personally. I was attacking their inability to cook rice or catching them sneaking food into a game where we're starving. And that, that was very hurtful. Um, you know, and then I've had people online point out the, the one challenge where I had to yell out directions to people when they were blindfolded. And at the end of that, Colby gets mad, even though it was totally not my fault. It was Amber. Poor thing. He like throws a bucket of water on me and like curses at me. And I'm, you know, I go back and I watch that now and I'm like, that was so uncool. And there's no Agreed. way that would fly now. There's no way. Not a chance. Um, and then I got, how did, I ended up being villainized. Like it didn't even make any sense. Um, and I've had people send me messages online like, I don't get it. I watched that season. What did you do that was so bad? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I was, I admit, I was hangry a lot and I was very irritating sometimes, but who wasn't? If you could have seen the other people and the things that they were saying and doing, you it would have been very easy for someone else to be the Jerry of Survivor that season. Um, I just right. think I had better hair. <laughs> great hair great bikinis there was there was a lot you were offering but i do want to harp on that for just one second because the fans were as we spoke about earlier a little bit like especially vicious towards you and i just want to give you props for having the fortitude to 
not have that consume you. I don't know if I would be able to handle it, especially because as we were saying, this show was the most watched show in the world. So to be perceived by so many as a villain when that many people feel that way about you, I imagine had to take a toll. I read that you would have people sometimes approach you, ask for an autograph, which you'd oblige, and then they'd rip it up in front of your face. I even read that some would spit on you, which first of all, like, is mm-hmm. that true? And second of all, what no. the fuck? Nobody okay. spit on me or I would have punched him in the face. <laughs> okay. I was like that. But but can you talk about sort of like what it was like experiencing this? Well, there was definitely a little bit of fear involved, I'm sure, when people would come up to me because they thought they were being, you know, big and bad by approaching me and telling me how much they hated me. But I, yeah, it hurt. Every, every single time I'd hear something negative, it hurt. I'm a human being. I have feelings. And I... I was a an actress and you know I was looking at that as, this is my big break and because of people's reactions it ended up really hurting my career because there were people in Hollywood who were like I don't want to work with her she's horrible and I'm like but oh my god that was a reality show that was edited like people didn't know yet because reality television was so new they didn't realize there's this massive amount of footage there's editing there's producers creating storylines like Nobody had any idea that stuff was going on or how it worked yet. It was still brand new. And I I understand that, but it was. It was very hard. I mean, I had to keep my my chin up and figure out how to turn all the negativity into something good. I did my best. You know, people always say no or no press is bad press. Well, I disagree 100%. There it's hurtful. And some people believe it. So that's why it's so, I think now more than ever, people are very sensitive to trying to look at the humanity of a person before they go blab all over the place. There's still people who don't, you know, there's a lot of very unhappy people in the world. And I've just come to realize that most of them that spew hate are doing that because they're not happy people. And I feel bad for them. But man, yeah, my life was. It was crazy back then, like in 2000, 2001, all the way till the All-Stars. And then the All-Stars just like reignited the flame again. I thought it was going to fix it, right? That's why I did All-Stars. I wanted to try to fix things, and it just got worse. And so things were just like very different. Um, But anybody who doesn't think I was affected is sadly mistaken because I was. I, I just held I think it's on. interesting what you mentioned about oh sorry, go ahead. No, I just I did the best with as with, with what I had, you know. <laughs> I think it's interesting that you mentioned sort of people's lack of recognition of the edit. It's something that I think a lot of people understand nowadays when they watch reality television that we are not getting the full story. That's pretty much understood. It's like the nomenclature of reality at this point. But as you said, it's like back then, I think there was the feeling of like, what you are seeing is 100% what happened and that they are, this is just raw footage. And we've come to know, obviously, that it's not the case. Um, yeah. You mentioned All-Stars, <laughs> getting that call. Um, I have to imagine you were somewhat, if not wholly, caught off guard by both your edit and the fan reaction from the Australian Outback. Um, And I think a lot about Real Housewives in the instance uh, that they get a second season. And sometimes they sort of will strategize going into the next season of Housewives, sort of wanting to course correct, right? 
It happened, for instance, with Camille Grammer on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I'm not sure if you're familiar. But, like, she came into season two. She got a villain edit in season one. And she's like, I'm going to kind of, like, fix this. Um, So I'm just curious sort of, like, what your strategy was going into All Stars. I imagine there were a lot of pros because you ultimately did it. But were there any cons that you were considering um, that that might sort of have, you know, wavered whether or not you ultimately decided to do it? Uh, Well, I mean, I definitely went into it with the idea that if I showed a more vulnerable side of myself, that that would automatically turn everyone to my good side. Right. And I bit my tongue a lot in that season, (laughs) the whole Rupert shelter thing. And, you know, being at the point where I'm like, okay, I'm keeping my mouth shut and I can actually see that our lives are in danger at this point. So, and nobody's speaking up. I was like, damn it, I got to be the person again who speaks up. And I was right. I ended up being very right. We That was the worst night of my life. I still describe that night as the scariest. I, I, I felt like we were going to die. Like that storm was the worst storm in Survivor history. The producers to this day will tell you, like they, they couldn't get to us. We were completely stranded. Um, I, I just was focusing on being more vulnerable and more likable and then I realized at some point that I'm playing a game called Survivor and being vulnerable is stupid. You cannot be vulnerable and survive and make sure that things happen the way they do, they should in a safe way by being vulnerable. It's a stupid choice, which obviously didn't work anyway. <laughs> but I, I really did go into it with that in mind. But, yeah, it didn't work. (laughs) Can we talk about Amber, the winner of Survivor All-Stars, who I was a big Survivor fan, a big Survivor fan when All-Stars aired. I had watched and rewatched all of the seasons. And when I saw that Amber was on the cast, I literally had a moment where I went, who? And it's like, no shade to Amber. You know, obviously she came back and she did what she had to do. But what was your reaction to seeing Amber out there? Because she was your friend and ally from the Outback. But was there any part of you that said, like, all stars, really? Oh, we we all did, actually. All of us. <laughs> she wasn't even supposed to be there. There was someone else. I don't remember who it was that was supposed to be there instead of her. And something happened. And that that's how she ended up on there. Um, but the second I saw her, I was like, okay, I've got an ally. Like I immediately looked at her as someone that I could play the game with. And there was this, this really crazy moment on that show that for some reason never, I don't think it ever even made the air. They had each one of us in each, at each tribe, every single person write a letter to someone on the other tribe. This is when we were three tribes. So we could pick whoever we wanted to send a letter to. And I sent a letter to Amber. Ironically, Amber also sent a letter to me. And it was kind of a mix of being from her and Rob. And as I recall, I I think I still have this letter somewhere. It's very faded and crispy. But I have it somewhere. Um, I seem to remember Rob making reference to my ass looking good in a bikini. Like I think they were both saying that I looked really good in my bikini or something like that. And I was like, what is what is this? What is going on? But I was like, huh, okay. 
all I got to do is get over to that other tribe. <laughs> Clearly, they want to play the game with me. Like I was, I was into the idea of figuring out how to get off that stupid tribe I was on that kept losing. And then, of course, we merged at some point. And then I was excited to see Lex because I love Lex. Um, but as far as Amber winning, I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad it was her. Um, the whole thing with her and Rob, that was hard to watch because <laughs> I was. It's so disgusting out there. I'm like, are they, are they making out right now? No one's brushed their teeth in like a month. This is gross. But um, I just, I was just happy to see her do well but i you know i was worried about her you know she's like my little sister i really did feel that way i told her that too when she was like i just convinced lex to vote you off instead of me and i was like what <laughs> okay i guess i said as long as it's you amber i guess i can i'll i'll handle it <laughs> I was are really you bad. still friendly with amber she doesn't talk to me no i don't hmm. I don't hear, I don't think anybody hears too much from her anymore. So I worry about her, to be honest. I hope if she's watching this, I think she should get a hold of me, Amber. <laughs> Let's catch up. Hey, you heard it here first. Um, what about seeing Tina not only back on the beach, but back on your tribe? I mean, you just rewatched season two. So as you know, you and Tina had a rocky relationship. I wouldn't call it fraught. I would, I would describe it as rocky. So, you know, you, you pull up, you see your friend Amber, Colby as well. But what about Tina? Um, yeah, that was definitely a little bit scary for me because uh, – she really came after me in Australia. And the funny thing is like now watching it again recently, I mean, I, I made a huge mistake. I made a huge mistake at tribal council when I literally said, it's so great that I have my real solid alliance with Col Colby and teen or with uh, Colby and Mitchell and Amber. Like I literally called out the people that I felt like I was in a really tight alliance with and Tina knew then she was excluded and came after me. Like it was the dumbest thing I could have ever done. That's probably like my biggest regret from that season. Cause I actually did like playing with Tina up until that point. And then she definitely, there was no doubt in my mind that she had turned on me. Like I could feel it. I could see it. And she like teamed up with Keith cause she felt sorry for him, for me calling him out and not being able to make rice. Like, I made a lot of mistakes that season, there's no doubt, because we didn't know what the hell we were doing. We had no idea how to play that game. The only thing that we did know, all of us, was that we needed to make an alliance as fast as possible. That's what we learned from Richard Hatch in season one, to go back to your previous question. That was the only strategy that anyone had at that time, was make an alliance as soon as possible. So, you know, I will say that then having Tina on my team and realizing that she probably wasn't going to play the game with me, I figured that I would silently go after her. But, you know, now... That worked out. Yeah. Now we're very friendly. I love her to pieces. Like, we still every once in a while text each other and catch up. And she's like, come out and visit me. And I still haven't made it out there. But, oh. you know, I think that there's a bond. There's a bond there because we were the OGs together. <laughs> 
All Stars was unique in that it was the first of its kind in terms of inviting players back who have relationships outside of the game to play against each other for a million dollars. And what resulted was a pretty kind of unpleasant season where a lot of people left feeling really hurt. And at the live reunion, you said, this show is a show about entertainment. This entertainment is coming at a price, what it has cost us, our friendships, our feelings, our pain, our suffering for entertainment. And of course, as you mentioned, you got booed for this and you left the reunion. At the time, did you regret coming back to All Stars? Um, yeah, I did. I was very upset at the way things played out. And, you know, before we got out on the stage for that reunion show, we were all backstage. It was really ugly. It was, it was really sad because there weren't that many seasons. I think that that was season eight and mm -hmm. we were all very close. Like we got it. We were huge stars like we got flown first class everywhere and picked up in limousines and invited to a-list celebrity parties and it was nuts right so we all knew each other very closely we knew you know people who had kids i know lex and rob were like super close and rob would spend holidays with lex and his kids and there was just a lot of really tight friendships and that season broke all of that up it created a situation where from that day forward you couldn't tell if somebody was legitimately your friend or if they were trying to stay friendly with you in hopes that you would one day go back and play survivor and it got really weird after that season and that you know backstage people were arguing there were Colby would refuse to hang out in any room where the rest of us were. I, why he threw a fit, I still don't understand. They gave him his own dressing room. I never understood that. Um, Lex and Rob wouldn't even look at each other. Like, And, you know, there's like snacks and drinks and all kinds of fun things going on backstage. But it was just like this crazy tension. And it broke my heart. So, like, when I went out on that stage, I was already, you know, feeling very raw and emotional and brokenhearted because up to that date before that season we were all so close we had so much fun together it was really sad what happened after you left the stage did other tribe mates of yours like talk to you what was the reaction from your cast members uh i went backstage i went into the bathroom and i locked myself in the bathroom and ripped off like my mic pack and I was like screaming at the people back there, get my family. I want my family. And then like went out into the audience and got my mom and my dad. And at the time I had this boyfriend that was there as well. And my sister was like yelling at people in the audience. Like, that's my sister. You need to shut up. Like I'll kick your ass. Like my sister's, my sister's a badass. <laughs> and she was really, really mad. Um, and so my whole family came back. They, snuck us off into a limo, took me back to the hotel room. And I was just, I want, if I'd been by myself, I would have been crying my eyes out, but I was with my family and my then boyfriend and just trying to stay. I don't know, just process. I was so mad and so disappointed. Um, and then once the show was over, there's always an after party and people started calling me, are you going to come to the after party? And I was like, no, no, I'm not. I have nothing to celebrate. This is awful. 
And the two people that came to my hotel room after that party was um, Ethan, and then he was dating Jenna Maraska. Mm. So they came and checked on me. They were the only two that came by to make sure I was okay. And I never forgot that. Wow. That was very sweet. So to this day, Ethan and I are still very, very close. We send each other holiday hellos and stuff. But yeah, that sucked. That night was awful. And I remember Mark Burnett calling me too because uh, all the press outlets just flooded my hotel room with phone calls and you know people were trying to get me to respond and I got booked on even more talk shows and I went out on another press circuit after that happened and got to tell my side of the story, which was great. But um, you know, Mark Burnett called me and he was like, what happened? Why did you do that? And I said, look, you know, you invited 10,000 strangers to our reunion show. And they were the same internet freaks who were like ripping me to shreds since season two. We're now in Madison Square Garden screaming and booing me. And I said, you know, up until that point, our reunion show shows were our family and our friends, people who we were close to. There was no booing. There was no, you know, belittling. When people spoke up, they got to voice their opinion. It was kind of like therapy for us, the reunion show. And I think it says a lot about Mark Burnett's worldview that the phone call to you is why would you do that versus I'm so sorry that you experienced that. <laughs> Are you Which really that surprised? Um, <laughs> No, I'm not. I'm, I'm certainly not yeah. surprised. Um, yeah. Let's talk about sort of, you know, we were speaking earlier about some of the shifts between your season and, and the newest season, season 41, in terms of uh, the actual survival of it all. But I want to talk specifically about like the evolution of the challenges for a moment between season two and season 41. For instance, puzzles were not a regular part of the challenges in the old school version of the show. But perhaps most notably for me was the inherent danger of the challenges. For instance, when I was going back and rewatching watching Australian Outback recently, the cliff jump, I mean, and the fact that Roger can't even swim and they're just like, hey, jump off this giant cliff. I mean, he really could have died in that moment. He could not swim and you're throwing him into water. Or take season 20, your last time out on the show, when the contestants were competing in sumo-style battles trying to knock each other off a platform. I mean, you see those looks in some of those men's eyes in particular, they are out for blood. And then you watch it these days and it's just kind of like, you know, grab onto a pole or, or you know, you know, dive <laughs> off of this board or whatever. It's just, it's gotten inherently easier. I think, I think it has to be said. Um, much has been said and written about the survival component of the show and that aspect becoming easier, you know, 27 or 26 days versus 39, for instance. But I'm wondering if you could sort of remark on your thoughts on sort of the evolution of the challenges. Well, a little insight on the <laughs> cliff jump and the other things that we did on that season that were absolutely insane. Um, back then the, there was a, there's now there's like a regulation sort of situation with laws and, you know, the ability of people to sue if stuff happens to them, like that's kind of made things a little bit softer back then. Um, there's this safety guy, uh, that I met on season 20. And he told me after that season was over, he was like, 
I was not around in the earlier days, but I will tell you right now that looking back on what you guys did in season two, there is no way anybody would ever approve that again. Like jumping off that cliff is by far one of the scariest things I've ever done in my life. And I can swim. Um, we could have gotten a concussion. We could have snapped our neck. Like it was literally so high that they told us when you go down, you need to cross your, what was it? cross your arms and cross your legs. And I mean, it was so, it was like 70 feet. It was so high. I've never jumped off anything that high in my whole life, which is why I went first, by the way. I knew if I stood there and watched everyone else do it, I would probably chicken out. <laughs> but um, and the, yeah, and even um, Heroes and Villains, our opening challenge oh. was literally wrestling Men and women together in the sand over a ball. And Stephanie's shoulder pops out of socket <gasps> and snap it back in. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Nobody, there's no hand-to-hand combat going on anymore. And it's good because something, It's I'm so surprised after all these years that someone hasn't gotten seriously injured um, or died you know, the, think about those challenges where people are like on the rolling logs and they have to roll each other mm-hmm. off and, yeah. you know, they would fall and slam their back on it, you know, and they always made those things out of like fiberglass that had like shards of fiberglass sticking out of it. So when you like scraped on it, you had like fiberglass shards in your skin, which, you know, causes infections. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how any of us are alive to this day. <laughs> Oh my God. But do you have any thoughts about the sort of uh, the introduction of the puzzle and how prominent of a role it now plays in challenges where you don't even really have to be a physical threat at all? Or excuse me, even if you are a physical threat, you ultimately, that can only take you so far in a challenge now because if you're not good at puzzles, you cannot win. I don't know. I would have loved to have played some more puzzles. I know one of my favorite challenges of all time was there uh, in season two, the maze, like it was a life size mm. maze with the big tall walls. And we had, that was so much fun. Like those kind of things are great. Um, but yeah, anything that creates hand to hand combat, men are obviously going to win. I mean, men against who even thought that was okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. let's talk about heroes versus villains a little bit more because when I think about it, I think of it as like the culmination of a 20-year storytelling arc of Survivor. And I think that you're the beating heart of that story because in so many ways, I feel like Heroes versus Villains gave you the redemption that you long deserved, both as a game player, but also as a reality TV character. And I'm wondering, because I know you went into All-Stars looking for redemption and didn't necessarily get it. But in Heroes versus Villains, it almost felt like you were going in with a little bit more of a carefree attitude about like how you're going to come off. Um, and I think that it worked out for you very well because you came off as a really strong game player, but also just as a really cool, chill person who was able to be really adaptable throughout the game. So was that a goal going into season 20? And how do you look back on Heroes versus Villains now? Yeah, I went into that season with nothing but the end prize in mind, a million bucks. Mm. Like, and it should have been more, by the way. (laughs) They they should have had us play for more money. Um, It was, 
my only reason for going back. I wasn't going to get back on TV. I wasn't going to get attention. I wasn't going to create conflict. Like I might, the only reason I went back was because I wanted to win a million dollars. And I was at a different point in my life. I actually needed the million dollars. I was, it was during the housing crisis. I was getting ready to lose my house. Like I had a very different goal in mind. And, you know, I, there were already so many things going right off the bat in that season. Like people had pre-existing alliances because I guess they had all been talking to each other previous to the season and like found people who were going to go for sure. And, you know, I thought that was kind of uncool, but I also thought, huh, well, I, I don't have an existing alliance. I feel like I'm actually in a pretty good spot. I can just see what's going on because Nobody knew who all the players were going to be. And none of us knew who Russell was, which I still think is one of the most unfair advantages that you could possibly give someone. That happened in the All-Stars, too. None of us knew Rupert either because his season had just aired while we were there. Um, but with Russell specifically, uh, that, was, that was a very dangerous advantage given to a very dangerous person. and. I I had to sit back a lot and just listen and watch because I was trying so hard to figure out who is this person and why is he telling these long stories about things that don't sound like they could possibly be true and we all found out later they were not. Um, we didn't know who he was. But again, I just kept saying, okay, I'm going to find, put myself in the middle. You know, the swing vote is turns out is a very powerful way to play the game. It's very tricky to remain the swing vote throughout. Um, but Rob made it easy. He never asked me to be on his alliance. Um, I was never part of that group. Russell never asked me to be part of his group. And people, I, I feel like, um, thank you for saying that I actually played a great game because I feel like that wasn't really shown too much on Heroes and Villains. Kind of like Erica, who just won, I don't think she really got an edit that was fair either because I, I kept going what why is there not more information about how she played a strategic game I it made me kind of sad but I do understand how that can happen um I'm so glad that I did that season I'm so upset with myself for not winning I still think about that all the time that last challenge you know six inches I grabbed here instead of here I, I would have won. I, I have no doubt that I would have mm -hmm. won against anybody in the final three. Anybody. I, I played such a good game that I had enough people on the jury who would have been so happy to vote for me to win, including Colby. <laughs> that was mm. that was an interesting twist. Our relationship on Heroes and Villains was actually uh, very interesting. And I was, it was, it felt good to play with him instead of against him. We'll ask you more about Colby in just a second, but just real quick on the sort of pre-game of it all. So it sounds like you heard that people were pre-gaming. You made the conscious decision, correct me if I'm wrong, to sort of not be a part of that. But I'm wondering, this is a, you know, you mentioned the first All-Stars where you said you all knew each other. It was like a tight-knit family. At that point, there were only seven seasons. So the pool of talent is a lot smaller. You come into Heroes versus Villains. By this point, there are 19 seasons of the show. And I'm sure while you have like your Robs and your Sandras on the cast, who I'm sure you knew really well, 
as you mentioned, you have people like Russell, but also just players like Courtney, for instance, who are newer to the fold that I'm sure you maybe didn't have a pre-existing relationship with because mm-hmm. you hadn't seen them over the years at all these Survivor events. Who were you, once you got to the beach, who were you most keen to work with? And was there anyone that you looked at and you were like, I do not want to play this game with this person? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's obvious that I gravitated towards coach and I think a part of that was because, uh, I mean, I didn't know most of them, to be honest with you. I quit watching the show after the All-Stars. It was very traumatic for me to watch it anymore. And so I missed almost all the seasons after the All-Stars. I caught a handful of them before Heroes and Villains because I was doing a podcast at the time. And I, I was really, let me think about that. I was actually really excited to see Tom on the heroes tribe. I love him. He's such a great guy. Um, Siri. Oh my God. I love her so much. Like I was hoping that I could eventually play with them, but you know, the pre-existing Alliance situation on the heroes tribe was even more, uh, even more solid than it was on the villains tribe. I, again, nobody asked me to be on any pre game alliances (laughs) And I'm very grateful for that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I that season just felt there was something very organic about it. it. Like it just felt like somebody was really wanted me to win. Like the fact that when we merged, instead of getting a merge feast, we got a merge ingredient box. And I'm a chef, so I was like, hmm, somebody is encouraging me. Like I literally felt like. Somebody really wanted me to win, and that kind of made me feel empowered to just keep doing what I was doing. Like I felt like I was doing really, really well, Um, staying out of the drama, not creating any drama. When there was drama, my go-to was like, I'm going to go lay on the beach. And I realized that that was a very powerful move because it makes people come to you. And they did. I would I would lay there by myself and I would watch like Russell and Parvati and Danielle slowly walking down to me and sitting down and playing all nicey nice. And then they would leave. And then the next little Rob and Courtney would come over and sit next to me. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> and I got a great tan. <laughs> Important. <laughs> Well, I want to ask about Colby in Heroes versus Villains because you have played every season that you both have played. You have played together. And so you have this really interesting, sometimes rocky road that you uh, have gone down together on this survivor journey. And you ended your journey sort of how it began together. And, you know, I have to say, both times you've both returned, you've outlasted him by one vote. So congratulations on that. I think you you got your redemption there. Um, but how would you describe your relationship with Colby throughout the sort of whole journey of Survivor? And where did it end up? Um, well, I mean, it started off with a lot of flirting and we were both attracted to each other and, you know, Again, it wasn't mutually shown on the TV show, which made me seem pretty desperate and weird. But, you know, that was hard to watch. I was like, he was flirting back. You think I would flirt with somebody who wasn't returning it? I mean, I'm not I'm not that kind of person. Um, and then the second time, 
the All-Stars was, that was also kind of hard to watch because he did still say some nasty things about me behind my back, but I got him back. So I was like, take that. Um, and then Heroes and Villains, by the time we got on the same tribe, I think he was just trying so desperately to hang in there. Like at that point, he was lucky to still be around because he was not part of anybody's alliance. He kind of played the same game, I think, on the other side as I was on the Villains tribe. And, you know, at some point when he knew he was going, he tried to bribe me. He's like, I'll give you $100,000 if I win, if you keep me around. And I said, what makes you think you're going to win if you stick around? <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> and then we voted him off and I was like, okay. But and then after it was all over and done with, we hugged it out. And, you know, it was nice to see him say really nice things about me. About how, oh, Jerry's really changed. She's a totally different person. Now, what I wanted to say was, no, I'm the same exact person as I was back then. You just didn't see it. And, you know, you're lost. <laughs> mm. When's the last time you talked to Colby? Oh, uh, gosh. I think it might have been a couple of months after the finale. We watched the finale of Heroes and Villains together at his friend's house. There was a whole group of us. And I think that's probably the last time we saw each other, hmm. but you know, I, I wish him nothing but the best. I know we were both very young when we started that game and you know, we're not that much older now. We're just wiser. <laughs> <laughs> um, another player on heroes versus villains that caused quite a stir uh, was Russell Hans. One of the biggest moves in that season was when you flipped from Boston Rob's Alliance to Russell and Parvati's Alliance. As you mentioned, you come into the show, you have no idea who Russell Hans is or the havoc that he wreaked on his previous season, Samoa. In many ways, I'm not the first person to say this, you could assert that like Russell really broke the game of Survivor in so many ways. I'm wondering what it was like playing with Russell, and then I'm also wondering what your thoughts are on Russell today. Um... Well, first, I want to clarify, I was never on Rob's Alliance. I, they, they never asked me to be part of it. I never voted with them because it never suited my interests. There were so many of them that I was at the bottom of a majority. And I would rather be, you know, somewhere in the middle of another alliance than at the bottom of the majority. Um, so I, I never had to turn against Rob. In fact, the time we voted him out, him and I had a really long discussion. I said, I remember one of the things I said was, um, I'm not very good at being a villain. I feel like Mother Teresa with all these people. <laughs> like, I never did understand why I was on the villain's tribe. Like, it seemed strange to me to begin with. Um, but he knew that it was in my best interest to vote him off too. And he even said, Jerry, you know what you have to do. And I thought about that and I went, yeah, I do. I know exactly what I need to do. Um, and I got to figure out how to make this other situation work out. So I don't know, don't feel like I ever completely sided with Russell. I was just trying to figure out how to stay around as long as I possibly could. Um, and then once, once Danielle showed a crack in their threesome, that was it. And Russell's so reactionary, and he's got major anger issues. Um, he looked at me, and he was like, vote for Danielle. And I was like, ooh, okay. <laughs> Done. Because <laughs> then I knew I was at least the third 
person in a now alliance of three people. So that was better than what else I had as an option. Um, but Russell, yeah, he did break the game of Survivor because he had no morality and no regard for human beings' feelings or and no respect, like zero respect. That is why he will never win ever because he didn't respect all the other players that it took to be a part of that game for him to get where he was. And I honestly, at that final tribal council, had no idea who I was going to vote to win a million dollars. I even considered voting for Russell to win because, you know, pulling stunts like writing a letter to, um, what was his name? JD? No. JT, JT wrote JT. the letter to Russell. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The whole thing that happened, like Russell convinced him he was part of a girls alliance. And I mean, that was pretty brilliant. I was, there were a lot of things Russell did that I was very much in awe of. But at the end, when he sat there at tr that final tribal, which is where I should have been sitting and said to everybody, I don't need any of you. I don't need any of you. I did this all by myself, you know, and I'm like, it's impossible. You can't play the game of Survivor by yourself. There, it's literally physically and mentally impossible. And to belittle the very people who are now going to decide if you win a million dollars or not showed me what an absolute idiot he really is. Like his ego is so massive that in the one time in his life where he should have been humble and quiet and thankful and he couldn't do it was enough for me to go, I, there is no way I'm voting for you. Like, and mm. nobody there, not one single vote for a reason. It was despicable. The lack of respect for all the things that we, all of us did to make his little scams work. He couldn't have done any of that by himself. And I think to this day, he'll never, he'll never admit it, but I don't care. I have no desire to ever talk to him or see him again. <laughs> ever i've been asked to do several things that he's a part of and i'm like no i have no desire i will never give him any opportunity to say anything negative about me to my face and push my buttons like i will never certain people in life that just don't deserve any of your time life's too short so <laughs> absolutely since we're talking about that final tribal, as I said, you were one of the three votes for Parvati to win. And over the years, there's been a lot of debate over who is the rightful winner of Heroes versus Villains. And a lot of people think that Parvati should have won, that she made more strategic game moves than Sandra. What do you think about all of that? Why did you vote for Parvati? And do you think that she deserved it over Sandra? Well, first of all, it should have been me that won. <laughs> Without Agreed. a doubt. Well, yes. Yeah, we're alive. We're all alive. <laughs> yeah, the, there's no debate there. Um, but between the three of them, I mean, I already told you what happened with Russell and why he'll never win. But um, part, the reason why I voted for Parvati, I literally was after her from day one because I knew what a dangerous player she was. Like, she's so good at manipulating people. And, I mean, men just, like swoon every time she opens her mouth and giggles like part of that was like you know drove me nuts but at the same time i was like good lord it totally works like <laughs> it's 
it's not an option that I would ever go for. Like, it's just not my style. But, you know, the fact that she was still there at the very end, after I had gunned after her for so many times and brought her name up so many times, and she was so many times, she took it, took one for the team with challenges. She'd be like, you guys, I'm going to, you guys can step off the whatever. And I mean, I, the one time it almost bit me in the ass. I almost got voted out. I'll never do that again. If I ever play again, I'm never giving up anything. Um, I, that's why I voted for her. Uh, and, you know, Sandra, she, her gameplay is not, I don't understand it. Uh, I never have. It's, again, not a choice that I'm capable of making The as long as it's not me under the radar. And I would never quit repeatedly step out of a challenge like there was a lot of things about the way she played that game that a lot of us on the jury were like we had a hard time with but sadly the jury hated Russell so much and they absolutely despised poverty like it was amazing that go around by the end of the game how many people on that jury were just like not poverty fans either because she was Close with Russell. That's why she lost everybody else's respect too, because she was like glued to him. You know, if she had stepped away from him at some point and really gone off and done something on her own, I think she would have gotten more votes at the end. But yeah, that was a really interesting season. I mean, it's still, I think, one of the best, and not because I almost won, but just because the dynamics of the people that were there and again it was filled with great players from past seasons yeah absolutely stacked and that it still had like it continues to have resurgences and now it's on now that it was put on netflix for a while and more people discovered the show because of it it's just uh, an evergreen season (laughs) i want to talk about your many iconic looks that you have served on Survivor over the years. We've had the legendary blue bikinis, the cowboy hats, the Dune-esque heroes versus villains draped looks. Uh, How did you sort of cultivate or develop your Survivor style? Because it's so specific. It is, isn't it? (laughs) It is. Um, Is that just Jerry? Yeah. So I... You know, for me in Australia, I I wanted an Australian hat because I think those are great hats. Um, And they're also very functional. It it was vented on top. It was waterproof. It was crushable and still held its shape. You know, I'm I'm very into fashion and function at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm also, I'm an army brat. And so in that season, we were allowed to take warm clothes with us. And so I chose to take my dad's army jacket and army pants, like with fabrics that dry quickly, but are still warm at night. Like there's always a lot of function to my fashion choices. Um, The blue bikini was just one of my favorites and it was a three piece. It had a zip up top plus the, the normal bikini top and bottom. So I actually got three pieces of garments into that choice. Um, and then all stars. Yeah. I went with the same, um, I think it was body glove was the brand name. It held up so well on season two. In fact, I still have it. I have all my clothes from survivor in a box. 
Put it in the Smithsonian. Honestly. Yeah. I have every stitch of clothing I ever wear on that show. Um, They still smell like campfire and mold. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very distinct smell you can never get rid of. Um, But yeah, it was like my fashion choices were all about that. So like heroes and villains, we had to get approved. So things changed, right? Like they were very adamant about one outfit. What you wear out there is what you've got. And so... I immediately went to my army brat past. And this time I think I had my sister's shirt and my sister's pants. Um, And that scarf I brought, they were looking, you know, they were trying to color coordinate us. And I guess the villains was red and orange. So I had an orange scarf and they let me keep it. I was so grateful for that because it ended up being a great beach blanket. It also ended up being something I could wrap around my head, around my neck. For sure. And thank you for noticing <laughs> my fashion choices. <laughs> well, this is all part of the gay icon status that you have, that this is a cement a block on it all. You know, it builds up to something grand. Um, let me ask you about Winners at War briefly, because I just finished uh, watching Survivor from start to finish in quarantine. Um, I don't know if that's something to be proud of, but it is something that I did. Uh, and I was quite disappointed not to see Tina on Winners at War um, for a lot of reasons, but also just because I think she represents so much to this show. I'm wondering if you had any reaction to the casting of Winners at War and in particular not seeing Tina. Yeah, I was very upset she wasn't there. In fact, I called her to find out what happened. Um, And I guess she, what was it? The story was I think she didn't even know about it or she had been called and then told not to go. It was one of those two. And also Richard Hatch. I had the same reaction. Like, why is Richard not there? This is the perfect opportunity. Um, you know, and then there was also jealousy on my part because I should have been there. <laughs> but mm-hmm. at the same time, it was also an epic season. Um, and it, I don't feel – I really wanted Natalie to win. I was very upset. She's one of the biggest badass chicks I've ever seen play that game ever. She was on that horrible island from the very first episode to the very end and still kicked everyone's ass. Like it was – she was amazing, and I'm, I was so upset that she didn't win. Um, but, yeah, it was Tina would have been great on that show. And, you know, yeah. her and I, even though we're both getting up there in age, I know that we would still go back and do that to ourselves. Like, I know I shouldn't, but there's something very addictive about that kind of opportunity that, I, I don't think any of us will be 90 years old going, sure, I'll go back. <laughs> and listen, we'll be watching. I also thought that, uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought survivor. it was also sad. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was sad too how skewed uh, the new, they just had so many newer winners on the show. In addition to Richard and Tina not being there, there were just so many important winners from the past. Tom, who you mentioned earlier, Vesepia, that they just sort of completely were not brought into the fold. And instead we have to deal with like, Ben. Um, but that's another conversation. Um, Erica's season 41 win makes her the first female winner in seven seasons. Much has been discussed both by players, fans, and this podcast about the inherent gender bias in the game, both by design and through its evolution. And I'm wondering as someone who has 
very much experience the misogyny of both the game itself and the fandom. If you have any thoughts on this. Um, yeah, I was, I was really upset that we didn't really get to see any gameplay by Erica. Like there was some moments that she chose like the breaking the glass thing, but I mean, who wouldn't have done that in that situation? I mean, this whole season was about twists and turns and all kinds of craziness, which was fun, but I don't think one of the twists should ever come back is where somebody chooses the wrong box and has to go home. Like th that is so lame to me because that's basically saying you can be the best player in the universe, but if you have to pick the, which ball the, is under the coconut, you might go home. It's just like, it's, that's ridiculous. Um, but all the other things that happened were great. Um, I did find myself, which was very interesting. This whole misogyny thing is a very sensitive subject for me as a woman. Um, what the, the whole Shan thing, like she was ruthless. She was really strategic and manipulative. And in a lot of ways, I was just blown away by her. Like, oh my God, she's, <laughs> she's amazing. Um, but then I would catch myself going, what a bitch. You know, that's like the reaction. <laughs> I was having this like very visceral reaction to her. And then I went, okay, wait. But right next to her is Ricard, who's also playing a very similar, if not completely mirrored game. And what do I say when I see him play? Well, he's very strategic. He's very good at, at playing this game. And I caught myself doing it. And I think that's more what, what we're all a little bit more aware of nowadays because of where we're at with the climate of the world and everything. But it's still true. It, we all do it. And, you know, at what point does that really truly change or shift? I don't know. I, I really don't know. Maybe it's just because it's been going on for so long that it's easy to point at a woman who's really good at a job and say, she's a total wench, you know, and the guy gets all the credit and wins at the end. I I, I wish I could say that that's going to go away, but I don't, I don't know if it is. But I've read a lot of articles about Erica and how upset she is about her edit and I feel really bad for her because I also caught myself going, why? And, and what's his name? Um, the young kid who didn't get one single vote. Xander. Xander, right. So he's like the t total typical guy that Survivor, the franchise, would go after as the face for the new Survivor. But they can't do that right now because it's not appropriate. Like the young white kid, right? It just – we have to make a change, I think, within ourselves first before we can expect to see it in a bigger form. But I think it was, it was, it was very interesting that Xander did not get a single vote. It was in a lot of ways. And I, I think it was because he chose Erica to go with them at the end. The same way that when Colby chose Tina to go to the end with him in Australia, we all went, why the hell would you do that? Like, you would have beat Keith unanimously. Tina's Tina's a good player. She got you to take her to the end. That is why the same thing happened to Colby. 
-hmm. It just, it took me a while to put those two situations together because I just was, I thought for sure Xander was going to win. I was like, oh, here we go. Same old survivor story. (laughs) I, I don't know if that'll ever change. I mean, what do you guys think? Yeah, I think that, I think what happened was a lack of jury management. I mean, we saw throughout the entire season, the jury almost openly mocking Xander. I don't think they ever respected Xander. And whether it was because of his age or sort of like the way he was carrying himself around camp. Um, So I was not surprised to see him get zero votes. And I think the, the fact that nobody recognized Erica as the threat because they were so focused on Ricard as the threat. Like, I think Erica did an excellent job at managing her threat level to the point where Xander didn't even see the threat and brought her to the end. Like, she deserves to win. Mm-hmm. I also wonder, too, how much, you know, awareness there was from the players about exactly what you were talking about, this idea of rewarding another young white guy. And being that you had a predominantly, uh, the jury was predominantly people of color this season, and, you know, the CBS mandate that came down around the diversity, 50% diversity within the casting of the show. I wonder, too, if there was a recognition that, like, Xander could not win this game no matter what because they didn't want another Xander to win the game. I think that might've been the unspoken aspect of this season. Um, and I'm, I, that's something I'm very curious to hear about more from the players themselves. But I think how disappointing it might've been for so many of us to not only have yet another male winner, but then to really like look at our last female winner being Sarah Lucina, um, it would be eight seasons at that point. It's just like, it, it would start to ask, okay, well like something's, wrong with this game i still think something's wrong with this game despite getting a female winner yeah i do but yeah there's a lot of things broken about it but it it is almost a direct reflection of society and where it stands every time every season whatever's going on is obviously reflected in the season but you know i yeah i i saw parts of your interview with ricard and i absolutely loved him like i i really had a good time watching him play the game and he was so sneaky and so quiet about it like it was really great and I also saw the pain in his face sitting in the jury that (laughs) final tribal you know and how much it hurt him that he got voted out and I totally related to how that feels when you are the one who's voted out right before the final three people sit there it is that is the hardest position to be in. Like I kept saying, I think a great season would be to invite all those people that missed possibly winning Survivor by that one vote. Because mm-hmm. generally, if it's going to a final three, that fourth person that got voted out got voted out because everyone else knows that they would have beat them. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that would be to me a great season to yeah. people who are so right on the cusp. Of winning. <laughs> That's the season Jerry Manthe wins. <laughs> Spe- speaking of Ooh. which, Jerry, you've mentioned your sister a few times. I've always heard this rumor that you and your sister were going to play Blood versus Water and it didn't happen. Is that true? And has there been other times that you've almost come back? Yeah, we were supposed to go on Blood versus Water and then she got pregnant. <laughs> oh. And I was like, Damn it. How dare she? I know. It, <laughs> it was so hard for me because, I mean, I don't get to see my sister very often. And when she came to Heroes and Villains and we won that challenge, that was probably the 
biggest bonding moment of our relationship. And so Blood versus Water would have been really fun to play with her. And, you know, she's also the reason why I found out about the, how um, bad Russell was. So when she came to visit me and we won and we went on that reward, she told me about him because she had been watching him on TV and listening to all the, you know, the Internet buzz and all the information about him. And she was just like, Jerry, you've got to be very careful. He is a very dangerous person. And oh, I wow, literally I didn't know that. Yeah, it literally like triggered me. Like, I know. I think we've all met men in our lives who are manipulative and dangerous. And it like totally triggered me at that point. Like, who is this person? Like I, none of us really knows who he is. Um, you know, come to find out that that was just the tip of the iceberg, but yeah. Very good strategizing on your sister's part though. I mean, this just makes me wonder if we ever do get another go round of blood versus water. It sounds like your sister has got a game player inside of her. Like <laughs> it sounds like she she knows what's up. She, ooh, she would kick some ass. She would be scary, honestly. Mm. Yeah. Look, I look forward to the day. Okay, a couple last questions before we let you go. Uh, one thing that we've been focusing on a lot in our season 41 recaps is Jeff Probst's uh, disposition, if you will, his change in demeanor this season, oh uh, particularly like around Heather, for instance. And uh, what we sort of feel, I should speak for myself, what I sort of feel is a patronizing tone that he takes in sort of like just overly encouraging Heather at times, even when she's not succeeding. <laughs> As someone who's played the game three times with Jeff Probst, and uh, I think Jeff Probst would admit that he himself has evolved in many ways, but you saw him at like one of his earliest stages in the game, and then you saw him at the midpoint in the game, uh, and then you're watching it now. What are your thoughts on Jeff? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I literally was there when he realized he was involved in this massive, huge, successful show that was iconic and was about to change the way everyone talks to each other, like all the dialogue, all the little, you know, catchphrases from Survivor we hear all the time now, you know, you're, you voted off the island. I mean, how many times do I hear that? And people are like, ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, ah, get some new material. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Jeff back then was a lot of fun. He was, you know, this young guy in Hollywood who had been trying to find a career and he hosted some things and he was just like, he was like me. We were on the, basically the same playing field in the same exact situation in Hollywood. Um, you know, I, I wish more than anything back then that CBS would have helped me out. Like just given me a shot on one of the shows they had on their network, you know, cause I, I think that that's all I needed was the support of the network that made me a villain. Right. But they just, it didn't work out that way. But so Jeff was very different back then. He was so playful and so fun. And he used to call us and email us and we'd see him at the same charity events that we were all at and we would hang out together and do shots together. And he was just, he was a lot of fun. You could tell he was very excited about his career. And then by the time the all-stars rolled around, he was kind of in a rhythm. And I think at that point he had tried to make a movie and the movie was not successful and he was getting a little frustrated like he was getting pigeonholed as the host of survivor um at some point i think he did a talk show and that didn't go well and 
I know that must have been frustrating for him on a lot of levels to feel like he was stuck as Jeff Probst from Survivor. But now he's an executive producer. He's helping make decisions. He's hiring, fire, hiring, firing people, helping with casting. He's got this whole thing rolling like a machine. Mark Burnett barely does much with it hands-on anymore. It's Jeff. And so he's really taken full ownership of the show. Um, so that's why I think it's season 41 being so drastically different with him encouraging people and, you know, talking about humanity and having them share personal stories and their triumphs and their, all these things. It was on one level really great to see this more positive, uplifting sort of survivor um, and to watch him be kind of a part of that. But I could still see little hints of him, like with Heather when she's falling behind and he would feel the need to like point it out. <laughs> That's the old Jeff, where he'd be like, what's wrong back there? Why are you dragging? You having some issues? Like, that's the old Jeff. Um, but I do, I do appreciate that he's trying to make it a little bit more of a positive experience. Because I think it, at this point where we're at in, in the world, it's, it's necessary if you want to have some longevity to not just switch up the twists and turns, but also the way people treat and view the players of the game. Cause we're humans. <laughs> right. I like how you describe it as old Jeff, new Jeff, because I feel like old Jeff is him pointing out Heather's in last, but then new Jeff emerges when he says, but as always, she's not giving up, yeah. which is kind of like the marriage of these two things where he's like pointing out this thing that he really doesn't need to point out. This is why I mentioned it's patronizing. But at the same time in his head, he sort of self-corrects in the moment and said, like, make sure to point to a positive that being in last place, it isn't necessarily the worst thing because the worst thing would be to give up and Heather never gives up. So, yeah, I, I definitely see the old Jeff, new Jeff, that balance that's sort of going on. Okay, last two questions for you. As you know, Sean so beautifully stated with his intro, um, you have a legendary record on this show. I mean, you are one of the biggest cast members to ever play this game. There will never be another Jerry Manthe. Do you feel as though you are given your proper due in the pantheon of Survivor? In the pantheon? <laughs> in the Thunderdome. Yeah, I don't I think sometimes uh my strategic choices are overlooked a lot. Um, especially in Heroes and Villains. I feel like a lot of people, you know, accuse me of flying under the radar or, you know, uh, the more passive choices. I, and I, no one will really understand how hard that game is until you go play it. There's so much luck involved. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think I'm more recognized for my, my hair and my fashion than I am my strategic gameplay, which <laughs> I guess it's, that's not a bad thing either. <laughs> so at least those are, I still have control over those. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. Jerry, before we go, can you catch us up on what you're doing now? What is life like for Jerry Manthe in 2021? Oh, dear Lord. Um, well, as typical fashion for me, I'm doing anything and everything that I want to do. Um, during the pandemic, I, I got hired as a full-time chef. And so the whole entire time everybody was complaining about not having anything to do, I was actually jealous 
that everyone was sitting at home with nothing to do. <laughs> um, but I found this really great family and I cooked for them through the whole pandemic. And that, that job is just now ending. Um, and now I'm going to start uh, producing events. Specifically, there's a big event the end of May in Healdsburg, California, up here in wine country. I'm still up here in Napa Valley. And uh, check out the website, healdsburgwineandfood.com. It's going to be a great um, experience of wine and food and celebrity chefs. I'm going to get to work side by side with some of my favorite Food Network chefs. Um, I'm very excited about that. Uh, I tried podcasting for a while. I was doing some podcasts on dating and specifically how to date in this era using dating apps and why that they're actually very dangerous and deceiving. The funny thing is that while I was doing those podcasts, I ended up meeting somebody and now I have a very serious boyfriend and <laughs> in typical fashion with me, I get into a relationship and, and then I'm like, well, I don't really need to do that podcast anymore. <laughs> 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 Although now I feel like I need to do a podcast about how to be in a relationship and stay in one because it's work and it's, I think there's not enough information out there about that either. But I do want to get back into podcasting. It's so much fun. Um, and, I mean, you guys are doing an amazing job. I looked at a bunch of your stuff as well. Um, Thanks. Yeah. Are you still on Cameo, by the way? I am still on Cameo. Okay. I also want to encourage people to check you out on Cameo because I just, like, love – the amount of survivors on Cameo <laughs> makes me so happy because for a long time I was like, I didn't really understand – cameo until i found survivor players on there and then it all made sense to me because I, when I, i'm a big real housewives fan but i would never want a cameo from a real housewife but like survivor players are like actual legends to me and so i was like oh this is what cameo is for. <laughs> okay last question this is completely off the cuff but it just occurred to me so you mentioned that legend season that never was yet because we ended up getting um the all winter season season 40 i have to believe season 50 and this is not a rumor i'm completely making this up but i want to believe that season 50 will be the legend season and so say jerry manthe is cast on the legend season off the top of your head can you just name a few other legends you want to see on that season with you <laughs> the season which we should mention the season which you will be winning <laughs> well thank you for that vote of confidence <laughs> i would like to see people from way back the ogs because at least that way we're all kind of the same age we're going to experience the same issues and Please let there be a lot of puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone you would name specifically, specifically though, that would show up on the beach and you'd be like, yes. I would love to play with Tina again. I would love to see Richard Hatch play again. Um, gosh. I mean, you got to throw Colby in there. Why not? I don't know if he'll ever do it, though. I would like to play a season where he's not on it just because everybody thinks we're like this matching set that has to come together like salt and pepper shakers. And I'm like, no, I, I'm not, that's not what's happening. Um, who else? Siri. I love her. And Tom, um, do you remember Hunter? Yeah. Yeah. There's the name. I would love to see him play again. Um, Ethan mm -hmm. always, uh, although mm -hmm. I was really worried about him. Yeah, I don't know. There, I guess there's some older names in there that I can't. I can't even think about. It. It's been so. Long. That's a good list of names. It's a good yeah. list. Hunter, I like Hunter. Wow. I like that. Yeah. I, I like the sort of lesser expected people. So Hunter is a great a great person to add to the mix. Clarence, do you remember Clarence from Africa? Yes, of course. Oh my God, love Clarence. 
Wait, what was he accused of? He, the cherries, right? Yeah, they thought it's he like took the canned the... cherries or something. Yeah, wasn't it beans? It was a can of beans. Like something. Might, it might have been beans. I th- yeah. He ate like more than but anybody yes, else, and they all lost their marbles about it. Yeah. 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 Bring him back. <laughs> Justice there, for Clarence. People that okay, kind of got that. shafted. Remember Silas from Africa? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of the, tribe swap. The, the yeah. swap. Yeah. He got screwed over. Oh, in it's, swap. It, yeah. I mean. He, he yeah. had everything going for him, and then that swap. A little overconfident for my liking, but yeah, I, I think anybody who got seriously shafted and probably would have won if they made it to the end. That's yeah. what I would love to see. That like seriously, like the person who got voted off right before the final, I think would be a great season. <laughs> I like. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Um, okay, well, <laughs> thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I hope you've had as much fun as we've had. Um, and we really like. We are going to stay up to date on all things Jerry Manthe. If you ever want to come back on this podcast, you have an open invite. Oh, always. Yeah, you ever want to talk forty two? You can come. Yeah. Bill on 42 with us. I want to say that, uh, you know, personally speaking, this has been such a pleasure. I've watched Survivor from day one, and I really mean it when I say that you have always been a favorite. And I truly believe that you are one of the most important figures in Survivor history for what you brought to season two all the way to season 20. You should have won season 20. You'll be back to win another day. And so it's been a real, real pleasure for me, personally speaking, to talk to you today. Thank you so much. I appreciate all the love and support more than you can possibly imagine. <laughs> Thank you. And go forth knowing you are a gay icon. Oh, yeah, come on. I'm, my day has just gotten even brighter. <laughs> the sun has just come out. And I was going to say, if you if you can't win Survivor, at least be a gay icon. That is a consolation prize. doesn't have the same monetary value, but it is valuable all the same. Well, if you know of any functions I should be invited to, please send an invite. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Grand Marshal. Yes, Grand Marshal. Yes, at Pride. But also, like we said, book Jerry on Cameo. I'm a big <laughs> proponent of Survivors on Cameo. Thank yeah. you. Okay. And you can find me on Instagram on at Jerry Manthe. Duh. Yes, I was going to yes. say, Jerry, I want more of you on Instagram. Okay. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I know you have a lot going on, but like, I love when you pop up on the gram. And so I just want to encourage you as a follower of yours. The more Jerry content, the better. Thank the you. The trip to Italy alone should have been a mm-hmm. documentary. That could have been a reality series. I mean, the Fender Bender. We didn't even get into the Fender Bender, but I feel oh like there's God. a story there. Epic, epic <laughs> trip. Honestly, the most epic trip of my life. And I did it with someone that <laughs> I'm totally up. in love with. So... Yay. Mm, amazing. <laughs> so sweet. All right. Thank okay, you so thank much. Thank you so much, Jerry. Great. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Okay. That was Jerry Manthe. Evan, what did you think? I'm shaking. I'm always shaking, but I'm actually Iconic. Shaking. Yeah. I mean, what a thrill. I think uh, we've been lucky so far in that our guests often live up to the legend. So I don't want to say she's like unprecedented in that respect, but it's just quite surreal. And I know you have a, a very special relationship in terms of your love for her and how long it's existed. But Jerry's the one character besides Richard that I really remember from mm-hmm. 2001. I was watching Australian Outback. It's the last season I watched in real time, but just don't have a lot of like the memories around it. Mm-hmm. But so it's just really cool to talk to someone who. It's such a part of the 
the reason why the show still exists today. And then also, in a, it's like if she only played an Australian Outback, we would have been fed plenty. The fact that we get her in two more iconic seasons, and in particular, Heroes versus Villains, there's just so much story to her. And then also, just to get her weighing in on like season 41, for instance, it's just like, it's what a thrill. And I think it, um, I'm just grateful that she took not only the time, but th- that uh, this amount of time. And then if I might say, she's messaged us after the fact with her cell phone number. And so we now <laughs> like have access to Jerry. So I just think it's incredible. Uh, it's how are you feeling? Some people wait a lifetime for a moment like this. Exactly. And it lived up to all of my expectations. I have to say like, I'm new to this interviewing thing. That you know, my first interview ever conducted was on this podcast with Ozzy. And I feel like I've come a long way, but also I just have to say, like, I, I, I always get nervous ahead of an interview. I mean, like, for some of these people, I've been watching them for 20 years, for example, with Jerry. And it's like, I've been thinking about these people. These people have been living in my head for 20 years. And I, I don't know what it was, but I had absolutely zero nerves talking to Jerry. And like that, I think uh, that she has something about her. She has a certain quality, which you can see why she was the breakout star that she was. And although it wasn't necessarily the kind of attention that she either deserved or wanted, uh, you can see why she got attention, period. And I think just think that she is uh, such a interesting person such an important person in survivor history but also just like such a warm and generous person uh irl indeed and and relatively unsung i mean i feel like you know deep fans of the show recognize jerry for all of the the value that she brings to the show but i just think there's a world in which jerry should be a lot more famous than she is and i think there's a world in which and we talked about this at length as you just all heard but where jerry would have won winners out oh, excuse me not winners well maybe she would <laughs> maybe she would have won heroes versus villain and villains and gone on to win winners at war but i just think it's kind of it sucks that uh, there's a world in which we could have gotten Parvati, Sandra, and Jerry all as winners, as opposed to a two-time Sandra winner, no disrespect to Sandra. Um, and But exciting to hear that she's willing to get back in the jungle and give it another go. Yeah, I do have to say of all the what-if scenarios, and we mention them a lot on this podcast, the one I have thought the most about is what if Jerry reached that necklace in the maze in the final challenge at Heroes versus Villains. Uh, And I like that she brought it up here because I've been thinking about it as well. She was so close to reaching that necklace uh, and she just missed out on it. And I do really wonder what would have happened if she was in the final three. You know, I was thinking back to our Courtney interview where Courtney actually explicitly said, if Jerry was in the final three, Parvati would have won. But I'm not sure that that's 100% true because I think it depends on whether Russell's in the final three as well. Because I think if Russell and Parvati are there, Jerry could have taken that Sandra spot and won. You know, I feel like we should make it our mission to let's get the list of the Heroes versus Villains jury and reach out to and just no, I'm serious. And try <laughs> I hear and see. You. Let's try and actually just get a sense of what the vote would have been. I feel like we have that. Maybe we can. We wield that power. Maybe who knows? So let let's actually see if we can uh, actually get that information. But yeah, yeah. I, the I first person you. we're going to reach out to is Amanda for that. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's, uh, we have her on the, on the, what's the, not on the line. What's the thing on the, wait, do you know what I'm talking about though? There's a term for like, get someone on the, when it's like when you have them on the phone, but it's not get them on the line. It's like, get them on the, on the horn, on the horn. There you go. Yep. <laughs> Let's get Amanda Campbell on the horn. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I would love that. Uh, yeah, I just, I think I'm just so blown away with this Jerry interview and her generosity with her time and ability to like really dive deep into the game. Because I, I often wonder when we go to these old school contestants, especially Jerry, like it just seems like she's got a lot going on with her life. And I don't know that her survivor experience was all that great for her. And I sometimes wonder like how much do these people want to dive back into this potentially traumatic era of their lives and uh, she was very willing to go there with us and uh, I really appreciate that and also doesn't um, come off in any way bitter I think there's a, a level of bitterness someone like Jerry could feel about the way that they were edited or the cruelty that she dealt with from the audience and from her fellow cast and at the reunion blah blah, blah. and it just I don't get a sense of bitterness and I really uh, I celebrate that because I think I would be far more bitter but I think she has uh a composure about her that I do not possess. So I can we know. also talk about how Jerry cast Hunter in the Legends season? We can and we must. We can and we must. <laughs> yeah. And also, I, I just appreciate because I hate questions. I one thing I try never to ask a person is like a question like that. Granted, I asked it, but because it's like you're forcing them to go into like a bank that they actually don't keep in their mind. Um, and yet, here she was, not only with Hunter, but then also with Clarence. And so I just appreciate answers that are off the beaten path. Yeah, totally. She obviously has such a fondness for those early seasons and feels such a kinship to the people who played pre-All-Stars. And I really, really appreciate that because it's so rare to be able to hear sort of early season players talk about each other, especially cross-season. You know, Jerry's never played with Hunter or Clarence. Um, surely they met, but it's just so interesting. I think there's a whole world there that I would love to unpack of who knows who, who stays in touch, what their relationships were like, what would have happened had there been another All-Stars earlier in the show. I also just think there's a bond that they all had at that time in both the lack of survivor seasons that existed and by proxy the lack of players and the stratosphere of fame that being on the show brought about that I wonder what it's been like as season after season comes out and your fame meter drops a little bit just as a result of there being more pool of talent. I mean, tons of reality television contestants face the same, I don't want to call it a issue, but face the same reality. And I, I'm just curious like how I feel like Clarence and Hunter, that early era pre-All-Stars, especially those first seven seasons, um, Though I think one and two, they were far more famous than any other of mm -hmm. the first seven. I still think that first seven season holds a distinction in the level of fame uh, that they, I was going to say endured. I will use that word endured because they endured <laughs> a, a kind of fame. Yeah. One other thing that stuck out to me here is that I think we have some digging to do on what was going on in the production at Heroes versus Villains that we have now had two players from that season calling Siri Siri. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great question. That is a really great question. Neither, so wait, in both instances, neither were on the tribe with her. No, wait. No, sugar, sugar was. A hero. Yeah, weird. Very strange. It's like not a hard name to pronounce. And it's also just such an iconic personally. survivor name that, yeah. like, 
I'm just kind of surprised. Yeah, but that's if, that is if interesting. Jerry I had that same... and Sugar want to call Siri, Siri, well, well, I'm going to go with it. You know, yeah. I had a moment where I was like, oh, I have to, I have to interrupt and correct her, but I could. I know it's like, do we couldn't bring myself to do it? Couldn't bring myself to do it. I get it. If if Jerry calls her Siri, Siri, it is indeed. <laughs> okay. With that, let's wrap this up. Thank you so much for listening. If you have still made it all the way to the end in this very long podcast, I know that it would have been worth it because Jerry has just been so iconic. I hope that we have not heard the last from her on Drop Your Buffs. Make sure that you're subscribed to us so you don't miss our next interview. We are interviewing another old school legend that will be coming up in a couple of weeks. Also, we are going to be covering Australian Survivor on this podcast, which premieres on January 31st. Uh, we will have, uh, I, I will be covering it with a special guest co-host, and we're going to see how it goes. There's a lot of episodes of Australian Survivor. They are two or three a week, and we are going to attempt weekly recaps and see how it goes. Of course, Sandra and her daughter, Nina, are playing on that Blood versus Water season, and I can't wait to see what happens out there in Australia. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss that and our other upcoming interviews, Survivor History Chat. And of course, we're only a couple of months away from Survivor 42. It's all a little overwhelming, but we got you covered. And five or six years out from yeah, Survivor Legends? Five, five, yeah, five the season seven. that we're manifesting? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, exciting. Yeah, yeah. We'll be here. Bye. Bye. Bye.